0: Everybody, welcome to the four one one ground and pound MMA podcast where we are still trying to <laughs> figure out what what the heck happened last night at UFC two ninety three. Uh I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host and we're gonna, again, we're gonna be trying to figure that out. Um I, I gotta do the spiel or I'll forget to do it. So let me let me do this. Please interact with the product, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice. That's all very helpful. Uh, Done any and all of that, please share your social media platform of choice or just people that you know that you think would enjoy the show. Point them in our direction. Deeply appreciate any and all the assistance you guys can give to the program in that respect. Uh, it means a lot to me.
1: Um, uh, Let me apologize a little bit
0: off the bat here. We're coming off of UFC 293, and one of the perils of doing this the immediate day after an event is sometimes it's difficult to figure out what you want to say about certain things or to really kind of dig into specifics of technical application, tactical decision-making, the whole nine yards there, um,
1: but, and we had
0: a weird, weird? That's a good way to describe it. There, there was a thing, the main event in particular of 293, that I'm, a lot of us, I think are still trying to wrap our heads around, and I, we're rewatching tape, and we're trying to figure this out, like, what happened and how did we get there? And I've been doing this uh, the last couple of days with a fairly heavy heart. Uh, this year has kind of sucked, personally. Professionally, it's been a little up and down. Um, you know, some good stuff, some bad stuff. That's the nature of professions. Uh, the podcast is doing... Eh, it's pretty, pretty static. It fluctuates a little bit like most podcasts do, especially... Related to the cyclical nature of MMA. Because sometimes you got time when people don't care about what's going on. And you're less likely to listen to a podcast like this. And I get it. I do. So there's that. But, um, yeah, personally, I, I may have mentioned this here, probably. Um, back in March, we had to put our uh, the family dog down. She was, you know, what,
1: Almost. It would have been 14, 15, something like that. Um, it
0: would have been 16. Yeah, she had just turned 16 because we got her when she was four and we had her for 12 years. Um, Yeah, so that sucked. And then in that same vein, earlier this week, uh, Thursday morning, the family cat passed away. He was 16. And we had
1: him for 16 years.
0: So that's been, you know, a bit of a cloud over this. And again, it's just, 2023 has sucked. Can we just say that out loud? Can we we at a point where we can say that? I'm not saying every individual minute detail of everything about the year has been terrible. There's been good stuff. Dude, boxing's had a heck of a year. Boxing has given us a bunch of great fights. And we'll... And there's a decent chance we'll get the second fight between Spence and Crawford uh, before the end of the year. Boxing's been on a roll, but, man, movies have kind of sucked. See my Damn You Hollywood podcast if you're interested in my thoughts on that. And I don't just mean like box office returns being down, they are. but Like, the quality has not been good. TV's kind of been lousy, right? You can find some stuff, but on the whole, it's just it's the the trajectory, man. It it has been downward. Then you know personal stuff that just kind of sucked, and I you know you fight to find personal stuff that tries to offset that, and I've had some good things in my personal life this year as well, but on balance, it ain't great. It's just one of those years. So you know. Were I conspiracy-inclined, and I'm not, as a general rule, not in any sort of serious capacity, there is an election coming
1: up, and it's... So,
0: you know, stuff happening right before we get into an election cycle, especially a national one, because here in the United States, the presidential election will be in 2024. So, naturally, you know, some places are talking about a new COVID variant. There, uh, I'm not. I, I, look, man. Even if you're not conspiracy-minded, and again, I'm not. Lest the uh, to the government agent listening to this, is, I'm, I guarantee you, I've pinged something at this point <laughs> in their random scouting of stuff on the internet. It just does seem to cycle up, doesn't it? Even if it's just, even if it is more like on the genuine, like coincidental track, it does seem to do that, doesn't it? So yeah, not a great year, but that's my preamble. Thank you for letting me mention that. And we're going to try and figure this out. So let's talk about UFC 293 in your main event. Improbably. John Strickland defeats Israel Adesanya unanimous decision 49-46 across the board to become the new UFC middleweight champion. You know, I I think I said it last week. Like I I was not going to insult or completely dismiss Sean Strickland. I didn't see you know again a terribly viable path for him. But I've I've gone past the point with these with you, with MMA. Like I am I am beyond the point in MMA where I write people off if they get if they've proven to be near the title level. And whatever you want to say about middleweight as a division, and I will probably just refer you to Jack Slack's um sardonic takes on MMA divisions above lightweight. <laughs> Um I I don't echo those entirely but look man north of 155 at the moment is weird. We I mean, just before we get into this fight in particular and we'll talk about the division going forward but dude the welterweight kind of evaporated, didn't it? I mean you got guys fighting there. You got a very good and deserving champion in Leon Edwards. But I mean there was talk about, you know, Kamzat Shemaya being the next guy in that weight class. He's fighting up in middleweight now because weight cuts a bit too much. And fair play to you. Dude, he had a bad bout of COVID, man. If that weight cut became too much after that, I ain't holding that against him. But you know, Shavkat Rachmanov on the come up. But a lot of the top guys don't seem all that eager to fight him. And then he had, oh, he was supposed to fight uh, Neil Magny, wasn't it? And then he had the minor injury. Um, you got Bilal Muhammad, who should be your next title challenger, but nobody cares about. Fairly or unfairly, nobody cares. Colby Covington is probably going to get the next title shot, and he's been out of action for a while. And
1: you can argue about how much
0: his shtick might be wearing thin on people. Wouldn't surprise me one iota, for the record. But like well the the hype around welterweight, man, that that is a division without momentum. Middleweight, middleweight has players. I think in, if we're going to be fair here, like middleweight's weird, but it has a few players that are interesting that we need to see. Light heavyweight is a wasteland. There is no champion. Uh, that belt is cursed. I don't know what John Jones did to it, but it is cursed. Uh, and it's never been a, it hasn't been light heavyweight hasn't been a genuinely deep and strong division in a long time anyway. Removing some of the exciting guys due to injury or whatnot, and the belt being vacant, like there's nothing there. There's just nothing there. They're gonna have to rebuild that basically from scratch. And heavyweight is top heavy. If you if you really break down the top like five to seven guys there's some legitimate talent there but it's heavyweight so it's populated with a bunch of weirdness and we'll talk about heavyweight in a minute so just saying if you're the kind of fan who only really cares about lightweight featherweight bantamweight flyweight you might be onto something (laughs) you might be onto something that's all i'm saying um so (sighs) i wasn't sure even if i even if i was going to go on a flyer and pick strickland Would not have done it, would not have predicted it going the way that it did. Maybe I should have. I mentioned to one of my friends, um, Pat, who's been on the show years in the past. I mentioned to him that um, yeah, Strickland won. He said, let me guess, a lot of pressure and activity. You haven't watched him forever, man. How'd you get that right? And look, that's an oversimplification, but for the sake of just conversation, yeah. Kind of that. And what made that possible, which is what we're going to talk about here. Um, Strickland, first guy to drop Adesanya in the UFC. Drops him with a right hand near the end of the first round. Uh, Pereira didn't drop him. Blachowicz didn't drop him. He's fought some guys that can thump, man. Robert Whitaker is no pushover. Gastelum hit him hard. Dude, Gastelum head kicked him. Remember that? Kelvin Gastelum hit him with a head kick, couldn't drop him.
1: Uh, Strickland did. Just
0: well-timed right hand. Kind of drops him against the fence. Um, I I need to give Adesanya credit. He survived that. Covered up. Let the ref know, no, I'm good. Disengaged. And then won the second round. Like the second round, things started going his way. Then things shifted in the third. Um, I know some people who gave um Adesanya the third. I didn't, but the argument is close enough that I I'm not out here screaming about it. I don't think you know you you don't lose you don't lose credibility for that one. And then four and five, like the best you can give Izzy is two rounds. Four and five were pretty clearly Sean Strickland rounds. This was—I've identified a couple of things that Strickland was able to do that
1: I, I want to go over.
0: But the—let me start with the result. Like the end result here is, this was the lowest output um, from. It, this was the lowest output from Strickland in a five-round fight, but it was by far and away the lowest output from Israel Adesanya in his UFC—I think—in his UFC career. Um, let me find out
1: the stats here. Have them, such as the.
0: Yeah. Um, total strikes. Adesanya landed just 94 of 271 thrown. He was connecting at only 34%.
1: That's
0: really low. He's not normally that low. Like he doesn't always have the highest output in the world, but even if he usually his, his accuracy is better than that. Uh, he just... couldn't get going. By contrast, Strickland, um, 137 of 259. Uh, yeah, they only had significant strikes between the two of them.
1: And... was mostly headhunting? Trying to figure out where they got 60... Why do they count body strikes?
0: Uh, I'll have to double check. I mean, sorry, that, that's like how the people who do this count stuff, and I'm just curious about some of that, but doesn't matter. He didn't do a tremendous amount of body work uh, in the general, in the, like the grand scheme of things. Oh, no, I know where they're getting that. Okay. I'll have to slightly correct myself there. Not a lot of punches to the body. But Strickland made good use of a, a front kick off the lead leg to the body you usually have to leave off the lead leg he was pretty good about poking izzy with that one um that as a good disruptor as a facilitator of range closing all that good stuff so that was he had that um i think yeah so if, again if we look at like by round strickland outstruck numerically and i would argue qualitatively. Uh, Izzy in rounds one, four, and five. Round three, Adesanya landed a whopping one more significant strike, and I would argue the quality of Strickland's strikes in that round were better. Round two, Izzy pretty clearly, but that's the only round I gave him, and that's the only round the officials gave him, to uh, the official judge, to the best of my recollection. So where did we all get this wrong? Because I wasn't the only one out here saying, I don't know how he does this. There were some people who had trained with him who's, you 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 wonder a little bit if that's some Homerism. Like, Chris Curtis is going to pick him because they're buddies. And that's fine. Like, I don't begrudge anybody that. There were a few people doing the, you might have thought, you know, we're taking a flyer because there's always some people who like to just buck trends. They always pick the underdog and like to pretend that they don't when they lose consistently, and then when they do win, you know, claim uh, I don't know, clairvoyance, to some degree or another, that's, but, but how did the vast majority of us get this wrong, like what happened here, and there's a few things, so I mentioned the front kick, good weapon from Sean. I think the thing that struck out that stuck out the most to me on rewatch cuz I was able to watch this fight again before recording the show tonight. Um his footwork is still an issue and I mean like the specifics of how he moves his feet. He brings them together a bit more than you'd like. He crosses he doesn't cross them as much, but he does some these are no-nos as a general rule. But part of the reason you have to wonder about this like why. Okay? Why don't you cross your feet? Well, you don't cross your feet because in wrestling, it's very easy to take someone down with their feet crossed. In boxing, it's easy to score knockdowns. Crossed feet, hard to balance. You just catch someone. You get knockdowns that way pretty easily. Or in wrestling, you get takedowns. These are all bad things. Okay. But can your footwork be different when you're far away from your opponent versus when you're close to them? Yes you don't really want that habit to form you'd rather drill the you know drill it properly and again learn the rules learn the fundamentals then learn when you can break them right that's the general sort of strategy there so that's still a bit of a problem for him but his cage craft i think was there cuz people have been throwing up you know his fight with uh, Alex Pereira kind of being like, you know, this guy's your champion now. Or, you know, um, implying that the only um, Strickland stuff didn't work against Pereira because Pereira actually has cage awareness and you never saw him with his back to the fence. True. Didn't see Pereira with his back to the fence. Two things about that. One is stylistic. Pereira just doesn't like being there as a choice and you can say it's generally bad optics to have your back on the fence generally but if you know what you're doing that's it's just as valid to be there as in the middle of the cage there's no there's no inherent value a lot of the value of open space can be minimized depending on like who you're dealing with and the strategy they employ and Tyron Woodley always fought with his back to the fence as a choice. Um, some guys, especially if you're worried about um, a takedown threat from your opponent, some guys have much better fence wrestling than they do open mat wrestling. Making it so any shot they take, you can get to that barrier very, very quickly, is incredibly valid. But Pereira chooses not to be there, so he constantly turns in their fight, and Strickland is just kind of walking towards him. Strickland's cage craft in this fight was much better. Now, Izzy is a bit more predisposed to backing up and using that barrier, again, especially if he's worried about being taken down. Wrestling in open space versus wrestling against a wall or a cage, they're almost two different sports. Those are almost two different activities. Not it. It's again that's a bit of a stretch because a lot of the fundamental principles still apply, but and what this is some of the um like you can watch someone like uh, when uh, Khabib was training at AKA, they'd have amateur wrestlers in in straight amateur wrestling. You know, it's not that Khabib's bad at it, but that's not his forte. He takes guys who are much better than him. In pure wrestling, you introduce a wall barrier, the whole equation changes. So, Izzy's not afraid of the fence in that respect. And he might have been trying to bait Strickland into getting over to overcommitting, going after a so he can counter encounter. He does that a lot, too. This is a stylistic choice. This has pitfalls, however, some of which are visible at different points. That's where he got into trouble with Pereira in their first MMA fight. That he was putting himself there a little bit too much. Um, looking to either clinch or go for takedowns, mostly. But he was putting himself there. And it limited some of his options. And Pereira finally was able to tag him.
1: Uh, but...
0: It worked to his favor in, the re- in their title rematch. Because he baited Pereira in. Pereira got a bit ex- um, a bit aggressive. Thought is, he was more hurt than he was, got countered and put to sleep. Like, trade-offs. Nothing is perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect style. There is no such thing as a perfect philosophy. None of it. So, Strickland just had someone who was a bit more accommodating of how he likes to move and pressure versus someone who's constantly just turning. But as a general rule, his cagecraft was better here. He didn't follow. Adesanya as much. A little bit in the second, and that kind of got him... That's where things fell apart a little bit for him in that second. He got jabbed to the body. The body work from Adesanya in that second round, I'm a little surprised he got away from it. It's one of the things that was helping keep Strickland off of him. He kept firing body kicks
1: after that, but the problem with the round kick to the the... body...
0: Going to the body serves many benefits. You can just try to fatigue your opponent. You can hurt them that way. Sap energy, sap strength, because some a couple of good body shots, and suddenly your you know that pain radiates up towards your shoulders. So you've got all that, but one of the big benefits of good body work especially to a very aggressive fighter, someone who's going to be kind of relentlessly coming forward, instead of looping your attacks, like the round kick, if you go straight, you're putting your arm and you're, you're putting a structure, right? you got to pull, basically, between them and you, and you keep them away. One of, again, one of the big values of it. Second round, he was doing that. Third round, he got away from it. Now, some of this is a little bit how Strickland's performing. So I don't mean to say that Izzy just decided this wasn't good or he made a terrible decision. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what he was feeling. I was surprised to see him abandon that after it tended to serve him well in the second. So there was a bit of that. um, But Strickland's cage cutting, better. He wasn't getting reset on nearly as much as he has been in the past. Um, Cannoneer did a lot of that against him. Pereira did a lot of that against him. He seems to have worked on that aspect of his game. His jab was pretty good, but not as active as it has been in the past. Again, this was a low-output, low-activity, low-output fight for both guys. But Strickland's defense was very... This this is kind of the big takeaway for me. Um, The two big ones. Defense and distance. He was very well-schooled for what um Adesanya likes to throw. Anytime, I mean, you can't you're never going to have 100% defense, right? He did get hit with a few calf kicks here and there, but as a general rule, he was either hollowing out to avoid them, hamstring curling to get out of the way or checking them in some he's checking them in some way. Not letting Adesanya establish them with establish them for rhythm. For scoring purposes, you know, there's a lot of benefits to that weapon, especially for Adesanya. He leans on it. Anytime Adesanya went southpaw, he was ready for the body kick. He was ready for the question mark kick. He was great about taking away the jab. Um, how Strickland defends himself, like, there's people who have done the, because he does a lot of Philly shell kind of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of people who did the, you know, Floyd Mayweather. thing, think is Floyd Mayweather the most, probably the most famous recent practitioner to really employ that constantly. You watch Floyd in his, if you watch Floyd Mayweather's career, that was not his exclusive guard position, but he used it a lot. And I'm not going to make that comparison because if you watch Floyd like, that's how you teach it. I don't mean that he was textbook in every respect, but you want to teach people to do that. I don't think you want to teach people to defend the way Sean Strickland does as a general rule. Strickland's defense works for him most of the time it, for a couple of reasons. Um, one is just the way MMA strikes, I'm uh, phrasing it that way, but punches in MMA tend to come at different enough angles from how they do in pure boxing that your
1: defense can be your defensive position. It being more active is more beneficial.
0: So. One of the things you see in boxing, and I don't advocate this for boxing, but boxers do will do a lot of covering, right? You don't see much of that in MMA because you don't have the same tools to cover the same real estate. It doesn't mean, you know, fight with your hands down. It means good boxers do plenty of parrying and block, in addition to just blocking. They parry, they deflect, they shoulder roll, right? Strickland does a fair bit of that, but he's adapted it for MMA. And he's married it with a really solid feel for distance. Not perfect, but really solid. If you watch a lot of the stuff, he does a lot of um, very efficient deflection. He's good about disrupting punching lanes. He's good about, like, elbow blocking or shoulder rolling. And he's good about doing them small.
1: A good footwork, good head movement, good defense. It's small, because you don't need much.
0: You know, um, the difference between winning, and the difference between missing and hitting is, I mean, how small do we want to measure? It doesn't matter if if the other guy misses you by an inch or a mile. What matters is that he misses. And if you make him miss by a mile, then, well, are you in great position to counter? If you make him miss by an inch, you are. Almost every time. I can't quite use the absolute there, but almost. Rewatch this fight. Watch how Strickland deals with Adesanya's punches. One, he's doing a fair amount of hand fighting. Just in open space. Not showing not necessarily when he's jabbing, but Adesanya does keep his guard a little bit longer. So anytime Strickland gets to a range where he can kind of mess with it, he'll reach out and he'll grab. He'll hand fight, he'll wrist fight. And that will disrupt things. He's pretty good about shoulder rolling. He was ready for both stances. He was ready up and down with defense. So he's ready to block, parry, deflect, roll, check, -check. cross-check. He just had a really great defensive read on Adesanya.
1: And, I mean, the,
0: the numbers on this speak for themselves. Nobody else muted Israel Adesanya like this. I mean, just took away his
1: offense didn't matter what he tried he couldn't land anything and that you can't win a fight if you can't land on somebody
0: i oh look i'm not here to make excuses for anybody i i'm trying to figure out what happened and occasionally when you try to figure stuff out you wind up uh, it winds up sounding like you're excusing it, or you're, you like, know, oh no, if not for X, then Y. Like, that's kind of self-evident. But,
1: and yeah, Adesan, you couldn't get his jab going. Um, Strickland just again deflected it, slipped it,
0: was ready and willing to counter, found a few good punches in awkward positions. He never got out over his skis, which is a big thing Adesanya tries to punish. You overcommit, he tends to get you. The only time Strickland did something that could be considered overcommitting was after he dropped him. And uh, once that wa- once he realized that wasn't going to be the finish, Strickland reset. Uh, I don't know how long Strickland's going to hold the belt. Um, so, a um, couple of other things here. So, what could Adesanya have done differently? I hate doing this because that dude could kill me. I'm—I don't make any—I—I I don't, I don't have any illusions about this. But what are some weapons that would be maybe more efficient?
1: Um, I gotta get.
0: Again, linear stuff to the body to try and set up your other attacks. This is one of the ways that Pereira got... um, I I don't know that this would go exactly the same way if they fought again, but watch that fight. Pereira, not only is Strickland... Two things set this up. One, Strickland is just following Pereira. He's not cutting him off. If you just follow the other guy, that's a good way to get hurt. Pereira jabs him to the body... So much that he starts reacting. He starts reaching to parry it. Well, he reads a body jab. Body jab doesn't come, but he reaches for it, and then left hook drops him, right? So, body work in general might have been more helpful. Or linear attacks. Part of the problem with Strickland's defense, if you're if you're Adesanya, right, he's disrupting all your linear attacks. So... What do you do? Well, that means you have to go circular. I mean, the time he got dropped in the first, he was throwing a left hook. But there's um. Okay, I have one of these. Co- uh, allow me to introduce one of the contradictory sayings that um is very martial arty. That um I've told you guys this before. Like my my base for training is American Kenpo, and the founder of American Kenpo, Ed Parker had a i'm had kind of a saying that went along with one of the concepts he developed uh and it but he expressed it in the following way that you know lines beat circles and circles beat lines now if you don't think about it if you don't think about it in the right way and not that's the right way i'd say the right way because that means like oh no if you if you don't it it implies, when I say don't think about it the right way, if you take that purely at face value, it sounds contradictory. It's the same, but it's the same logic, uh, it's the same logical path that you follow with brawler boxer, boxer brawler. Because at face value, well, if you're the brawler, if you're trying to brawl the boxer, then by definition the boxer is trying to box the brawler. So who's winning here, right? But it's about intent. It's about your. Lo- it's about you know what. What are you doing? If you if you're dealing with an opponent who's throwing more circular attacks, straight lines, or if they're moving in a circle a straight line cuts them off, a straight line to intercept. If you're dealing with someone who's very linear, circle. If you're dealing with someone who's just walking at you, turn them. If you're dealing with someone who's got a very straight guard, circle around it. If you're dealing with someone who's doing a lot of straight line attacks, circular defense. Right? That's kind of and saying it that again, phrasing it as lines beat circles, circles beat lines, it it seems zero sum. It's not. <laughs> so what Strickland had going for him, once Adesanya decided, okay, I can't attack straight, I have to go circular, it opens up the linear attacks of Sean Strickland. How this again, how the concept is supposed to work a little bit in practice. So one of the things that again, I I hate second guessing people like this, but a bit more linear attacks and you know are they getting disrupted? Yes, but you do Israel does a lot of head hunting. He does a lot of leg and then head work. And if you look at just the stats landed, he actually landed less to the head than any than the body. But if you look at his targeting because again the stat in question uh, I don't think it does. Yeah, this is landed by target, not landed by not attempted by target. So if we go by landed by target, Adesanya landed just 23% to the head, 40% to the body, 36% to the leg. But again, landed, not targeted. He, I'd be willing to bet, he targeted the head and leg more than the body, he just landed more to the body. And the body work, eh, again, the body work's an interesting thing. Because the big circular power shots they lose value if you can't land them more consistently and if you can't land them in like quasi damaging ways like if you hit somebody real hard to the body and they are conditioned for it and you're not it's not seeming to slow them down or sap their cardio in any meaningful way go you have to go linear because it will help keep distance which is the again la, uh, last thing because I mentioned Strickland's distance use He had a real good ability to counter Adesanya's kicks, not necessarily with strikes, but if he'd hollow out away from a kick, right, withdraw the leg, create the concave space, Israel's kick goes through. When he returns to his stance, he's just like two inches closer.
1: And being able to go from
0: the very kind of uh, like the the latter part of kicking distance to inside where kicking distance because where kicking is much more difficult and almost even like crowding punch area. Like, look at his distance control in this one. It's really good and it's really interesting, especially for the guy on the front foot. He's constantly able to get to a spot where he's going to hang out, induce something, or Adesanya throws something, he either checks, avoids, or eats it and just decides to move in, gets that other inch or two closer, and the entire dynamics of the exchange have changed, again, by virtue of the real estate, by virtue of proximity, that changes everything. And once he got a little bit closer, Adesanya, who's... He's good in the pocket, Adesanya is, but Strickland forced a lot of this to be at this weird... Again, it's a very specific range. It's not... Again, going from like the end of kicking range to not all the way into the pocket, which is, again, closer proximity. But, like... Not even the end of boxing distance, but, like, middle boxing distance. And Adesanya was not terribly comfortable there. And some of that is Strickland's defense. Like, again, if you... The Philly Shell in MMA is weird because there's a bunch of stuff that should that it opens up. Um, there's a handful of boxing guards that are more difficult for MMA. Just because, because of what they open up. The Philly Shell's one of them. It'll work wonders if you know what you're doing. It'll protect your head pretty well. You're not as safe to the body. And you're especially not safe to the kidney. Which, the kidney is not a legal target in boxing. You are welcome to hit it all you want in MMA. So that can be a real problem. And if you've never been hit real hard in the kidney, it sucks. It's worse than a liver shot. Um, They're
1: rarer because... ...reasons. But...
0: I would... uh, What's the... uh, What's the line I've heard about this before? I've I've used it here before. Um, if getting hit in the liver is like getting hit in your soul, getting hit really hard in the kidney is like getting hit in your soul's groin. Like, it's, it's just the worst. And it's a again, legal blow in MMA. Surprise. So that's what... And it's open when you use, again, kind of the Philly Shell setup. The other thing the Philly Shell makes you a little bit more vulnerable to is some of the kicks. You can still deal with it, but it's a little bit, so kicks are kind of an issue. The other thing it helped, it doesn't help as much. You might think it it should, but if you're not a strong clincher, I would avoid it in MMA because you're basically giving up the the opponent's left underhook with your right hand position, right? Your right hand is high. Your left's low, so your left can get in there and you can get your own underhook and get inside position with that. But it's real hard to get your right down and into proper position in time. So you frequently will wind up in 50-50 clinches, and if you are not strong there, then you're not going to be 50-50 very long. Um, and, I mean, take is more about footwork in some respects, so and that's upper body position too. Like there's a whole that's all stuff that goes into. But if you want good examples of some of the Philly shell stuff and what it does, again, Mayweather's a good example. Um, do James Tony in his you got to get prime James Tony. You can't wait till he gets like fat and old. But um, if you watch the best of James Tony, he operates out of that a lot. He operates out of that a lot in the pocket. Um, so it's one of those things that there's some stuff that is from some of the disparate elements of combat sports that make up MMA that's starting to filter into MMA. Some of them just take a bit of time to properly tune. To not just the wide variety of things you have to consider, but your style, what you're doing with your opponent. I mean, do people use? Uh, I'm surprised it's not more cross guard in MMA. To be candid, uh, cross guard or crab guard, you think it's called. Because Poirier uses it, sort of. He sort of uses it. Um, when he gets defensive, he's got um, what do what they call like the hillbilly shoulder roll? Um, he does kind of like half cross guard. Um, Matt Brunell used a lot of the cross guard. I think it was Matt's Brunell. Um, there's and there's part of the reason people don't, I think, is because it's a little bit harder to deal with your hips getting attacked. But it opens up good elbow strikes, which is actually one of the other things i was surprised. Surprising no elbows from Adesanya, especially once Strickland got a little bit closer. Um, if your if your punches are a little bit smothered. Turn that sucker over, man. Um, Especially another thing, like, especially if you can't hit someone hard enough to get them off of you, change your punches to elbows and just cut them up. If you can't stop them with, again, the blunt force of your fist, put something harder. Your elbow's harder than your fist. Put that in the way of it. And you can't generate as much force because there's not as much time and length on the lever, but they're still, va- they are they will still, they'll, they'll end your, they'll ruin your night, man, if not longer. So, let's talk a little bit about the title picture here, um, if, if I go on for a while about this fight, it's because there's not a lot about the rest of this card to talk a whole lot about, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, so, yeah, Strickland, man, MMA is nuts. You have a guy here in Strickland who is just fundamentals, some of them even you can argue not that great like again footwork we some of it needs work, but he makes it work for him. He didn't do much in this fight other than pressure, cage cutting, really good defense, and a one two he threw and a front kick he threw a like one or two left kind of body kicks, but mostly it was a front kick he didn't clinch he didn't knee he didn't elbow he didn't go for much of a takedown handful of good ideas and being incredibly well schooled for what Adesanya brings this is kind of the big it's not just Adesanya this happens to everybody the more you fight and the longer each of those fights goes the more tape there is on you the more people are going to figure you out Adesanya had a massive lead on this division for a long time because his striking was different. His fainting game flummoxed people, and he was really good about weapons at different distances. He was good about locking you up with feints. He was good about chopping at you. He was good about annoying you and getting you to overcommit and then countering you. Like... He had a giant lead, and people have kind of figured it out. You have... If someone like me can pick up on a handful of things that Adesanya does reliably, people who know a lot more than me, especially, you know, MMA coaches, who look at the stuff a lot more than I do in a lot more detail than I do, are going to pick up on a lot more, and you just get to a point when your habits and your tactics become known... And you have to deal with that, or, you know, not, I suppose, but But we're kind of at that point with Adesanya. There's enough tape on him, and enough very good guys, coaches and fighters, have dealt with this problem. Eventually, man, that tree falls. Eventually, enough people taking enough swings of the axe, it falls. And Credit to Strickland, credit to his coach. Um, he trains out of Extreme Couture, so that's Eric Nixick. Dude, for just a second, can we appreciate Eric Nixick? That guy, I don't know if he's the head coach at Extreme Couture. He's the most public-facing one, so he do- he's the one that travels with people more often than not. Uh, I remember when Extreme Couture was one of the big MMA gyms. And I saw its fall from grace. And to see it now rise again in prominence, I mean, look at the guys that come out of there now. You had Francis, um, you look at the people who have gone there. to. Tr- no gym is necessarily going to be perfect fit for everybody. But that was a gym that had prominence, fell on hard times, and then rose back up. That's hard to do. It just is. So, a lot of credit to the coaching staff over there. Um, Now you've got again Strickland, Francis, and Ganu. Both the Basharat brothers train out of there, I think. Um, Curtis Jackson. um, Uh, Again, you can look up their roster if you're so inclined. There's a lot of good guys that come out of there now, and that takes that's the product of dedication hard work, and intelligent work. So, my hat's off to those guys. Dude, I th- I think pretty highly of City Kickboxing as a general rule. They didn't have, dude, what did they have for Sean Strickland? Like, they didn't, felt like they didn't have a specific idea for him. And they, uh, once they, once it was clear that he kind of had Izzy a little bit figured out, like, they didn't have plan B. And how it goes
1: sometimes, I guess. So one of the biggest
0: upsets in UFC history. I can't call it the uh well, hang on. If we're talking the numbers, there have been actually quite a few that have been potentially bigger upsets than this one. I think it closed Izzy was minus six seventy five, that's what the UFC said. So Almost 7-1 to one favorite. <laughs> there have been bigger favorites that have lost. Um, especially if we go, like, further down the card at different points in time. What was the hilarious one? Like, um, uh, Maria Agapova's second UFC fight. She was, like, minus 1,200. Someone stupid. And then lost. Um, but, you know, so let's... But, well, let's talk title fights for a second. There have been bigger title fight upsets than what Strickland pulled here. Um... Let me just hit the big ones, right? Sarah over GSP. Holm over Rousey. I think, numerically, Holm was a... Or Rousey was about as big a... Well, might even have been a bigger favorite than
1: um, Adesanya was here. Um,
0: Peña, I mentioned, I mentioned Peña... No, Peña over Nunez. Um, but I saw this phrase this way on Twitter, and I think this is the maybe the better way to look at this. I think this is the biggest UFC title fight upset that did not end in a finish. What do those ones have in common? Finishes. GSP got stopped by Matt Serra. Holmes' you know, win was not a fluke. You know, definitively not. But a finish. Nunes gasped badly, faded, got choked out then, you know, avenge the loss, but finishes. Do you know how many monumental upsets there are in the, at the UFC title fight level that are decisions? It's a lot rarer. Um, again, not impossible, but rarer. There's only two that I would put in the same conversation as this one. And believe it or not, if you weren't, I hate to phrase it this way because it sounds a bit, I don't know, elitist gatekeeper-y, But you're gonna have to take my word for this. If you weren't there live, when give you the, let me give you the. So if I put this one at the top, uh, if I put Strickland decisioning out of at the most shocking, like biggest. Upset via decision in the UFC title fight. And I do, for the record. I'll save number two for a second, but number three on that list for me, is one of those that, again, depending on when you got into the sport, you may not appreciate it. When Frankie Edgar beat BJ Penn the first time. I don't know too many people who saw that one coming. Now, in fairness... Their first fight is a somewhat disputed decision. Um, I don't hate scoring it for Edgar, but there are some specific scorecards in that fight that are crap. I'm sorry, there's like there was one judge who gave... One judge who gave every round to Edgar, which is ridiculous. I think you can find three rounds for Frankie Edgar in that fight. But, again, there were some bad scorecards that cast a pall over that. But, if you didn't know... like If you weren't there when BJ Penn was at that point... Dude, he was... It's so hard to properly categorize BJ Penn at that point in time.
1: And BJ became kind of a joke. And I hate that. Because it means you're less likely to consider what he did. His run at lightweight is
0: one of the most ridiculously impressive things you'll ever see. Returns to that division, massacres Joe Stevenson. One of the bloodiest fights you'll ever see. Not the bloodiest, but it's it's up there, man. Cuts him open Gets him in a choke, and is choking him so hard that, like, the cut on his forehead, like, starts spewing harder. Like, real pressure on that choke. Just, again, massacred him. Fought Sean Shirk after that, and obliterated him. Um, jeez, who was too long after that? Was it Kenny Florian next? Florian didn't have anything for him. He... Beat the crap out of Diego Sanchez, dude. He cut, he hit Diego Sanchez with a head kick, um, that opened up this horrible cut on Sanchez. Looked like he'd been hit with an axe. I mean, one of the worst cuts that like again Stevenson fight was bloodier. The cut he opened up on Diego Sanchez, one of the wor- like it's a horrible cut. It's just <sighs> he was he was impossible to take down. He was impossible to control. You couldn't really outstrike him. He had a slick jab. He had power. If you could hit him, you couldn't hurt him. He couldn't be cut. He was a mythic figure. And Frankie Edgar beat him. Now there, And again, that first fight disputed. Rematch was not. Frankie won that rematch wa- clean. And the less said about their third fight, the better. But if you weren't there live, you don't appreciate it. That was a massive, massive performance and upset from Frankie Edgar. Now we look back on it and go, yeah, Frankie Edgar's like freaking Frankie Edgar. Like, <laughs> of course. But, dude, if you weren't there, man, this undersized lightweight taking on this unstoppable force of nature in that division and doing what he did. Huge. Number two on this list. Now, this This would have been number one prior to 293. Another one you don't—if you weren't there, man—that uh, it's one of those moments that if you weren't present for it, can never fully be recaptured. But Randy Couture coming out of retirement to beat Tim Sylvia 50-45 across the boards. Nowadays, that first round might be 10-8. It
1: was.
0: There was a lot of apathy and antipathy for Tim Sylvie at that point. He was coming off of... He was either coming off of the um, the third fight with Andre Arlovsky or his title defense against Jeff Munson. I don't remember which. Both of which are terrible fights, by the way. <laughs> Just terrible fights. Um,
1: but people weren't
0: liking Tim Sylvia, but Randy Couture was old. He was, again, coming out of retirement after... He retired after the third fight with Chuck Liddell, I think, memory serves. Uh, When Chuck had had knocked him out twice. Been stopped twice in his last, like, three fights. And he's gonna fight this, you know, six-foot-eight.
1: Whatever the... What was Tim... Uh, Tim Sylvia's a giant. I want to say it was 6'8", or
0: 6'9". Yeah, 6'8". This enormous man, who, yeah, he had a couple of lackluster fights that people didn't like, but he could end your night, man. And Randy Couture comes out of retirement, and like five seconds into the first round, inside leg kick, overhand right, drops Sylvia, gets on his back, rides out the round, and just... If. Never, you never would have predicted that. I I know some people did. I'm aware of people who are like, yeah, Randy's got this. Don't know how, don't know why. Just a feeling. And I don't like Sylvia. But to see that happen. Over five rounds, like, dude. (laughs) Uh, Now, again, we look back on this and go, yeah, Randy Couture legend. No, no, That's why he's a legend. That's why he's a legend. I mean, he'd done great stuff before that. I mean, he was already a former champion at heavyweight and light heavyweight. Coming out of retirement and beating Tim Sylvia, like, that was his moment of... like That's his ascension. That's when he became... That's when he went from a great fighter to an all-time legend. And and this one, again, I don't know that I'm not trying to put Sean Strickland in the same category as Randy Couture. Their careers don't have that much in common, but if we're talking about like the moment, doing this to Adesanya over five rounds I never would have guessed it. Never would have guessed. <laughs> Before I move on to the state of the division, other thing I never would have guessed. So, as it, I'm going to use a word here that is a that is now a slur, and I'm going to say it for the sake of clarity. So, if this is about to offend you, I apologize. I'm only going to say it once. But if you had a prop bet for UFC 293, and if if I were setting this line, it would I would have put the over-under on fighters using the word apologies in advance. If this offends anyone, I don't use this word in conversation. I'm using it for, again, for the sake of clarity here, because saying the F word has a couple of different meanings. But if I were to set the over under on fighters who use the word <laughs> faggot, I apologize again. At one and a half. Th- that's about where you set that, right? Like, okay, then you got a bunch of fighters here. You know, I'll set the over under, one and a half. If you take if you took the over on that with the writer that none of those instances of that word would come from Sean Strickland, my man, you got paid. Like, tacking that writer onto it must have, a- must have jumped your odds up astronomically, and he didn't use it. <laughs> Two other fighters on this card did. We'll get to that later. Um, But, man, Demetrius Dimitri- uh, Johnson said it right, you know. People out here acting like it's the mid-90s again. And, look, guys, we live in a world that does not deem that, you know, word acceptable in public conversation. I don't use it in private conversation either. I'm, like, I grew up in the 90s, okay? I don't give out my specific birthday here, but, you know, I'm closing in on 40, In the certainly the latter half of my 30s. If you are of my age, do you remember what junior high and high school were like? That word was everywhere in a bunch of its derivations. I don't pretend that it wasn't. I choose not to use it because, again, where we are with society.
1: But, eh, I mean,
0: it's, there's a similar disconnect, I think, with that word and the N-word, which I don't like even quoting, but that's kind of my point, isn't it? If you were born, like,
1: 2010s, or even like the late aughts, You
0: probably have always thought of the six letter F word as a slur that you don't like hearing and you may not even like quoting. That's my relationship, and I think people of my generation, that's our relationship with the N word. But if you go back another generation, like, I've, my father, my both my grandfather on each side, so, again, both grandfathers, I've
1: never really heard them use that word.
0: It's certainly in, like, public conversation or... private, but I know that, again, their relationship with it was different. And... It didn't. I know people that it doesn't bother to quote. I mean, for crying out loud, I host a podcast with Mark, and I love Mark. I mean, no, and part of this is because he grew up in Uniondale in the you know like early '80s when it was the hood. Like he grew up around a bunch of around a bunch of black people, and he doesn't have a problem quoting it. And I don't like quoting it because I don't know. I've and other people will feel that way about other things, but. If I were to talk with my you know, parents and grandparents, I mean, one of my grandfathers has passed on. Uh, it's been a while now. I still miss. It. But like, you know, was that part of the general vernacular growing up in the areas that you grew up in? I have no doubt it would have been. That's just where the world was. And the question is do you move with it or do you not? And in the case of some MMA fighters apparently the answer is not. And I mean I might do I wanna give cop half a pass because English is like his second or third language? It's he still could choose better. The other guy, there's no excuse. Like, he's just trying to heal on the crowd, I I know, but like, dude, be more creative. Um, but yeah, again. No slurs. Coming out of Sean Strickland, two other fighters did. You know, again, if you took that bet, I, you got paid, man, and I'm happy for you. So the state of middleweight is now awkward. Um, Dana White at the post-fight presser said, "Yeah, a rematch makes sense. It does not." Well, one, we don't do that, right, Dana? Right? We don't. We don't make fights the night of. Right?
1: Unless we do, of course. So,
0: let me just... Let me give you my two cents on this. Is he getting an immediate rematch with Alex Pereira made sense. It was his first loss at middleweight. He had a long history as champion. They had built-in history. And there wasn't really a ready-made number one contender, believe it or not. Um, there were some timing issues with uh, like Whitaker and... We didn't know what was up with, like, there were, there was enough flux, and Izzy had enough wind at his back from his title reign that I think it was appropriate. It is not here, it just isn't. Sorry. He is one and two in his last three
1: title fights. That's reality.
0: I think he's only four and three in his last seven, because you have the Blahovich, Pereira, and now Strickland. Like, I'm not here. I am not saying Izzy is not a great fighter. I'm not saying he's washed. I'm not saying any of that. We're talking about is an immediate rematch warranted? No. It's not. What about this fight makes you. This was not a weird stoppage. This is the other thing about how Strickland did this. This was not a bad judge's call. This was not an injury. This was not a cut. This was not. Again, a bad referee issue. This was nothing. It was a straight-up five-round fight, and Strickland clearly won four rounds. What's the case here for a rematch? There is not a meritocratic argument for it. it. Sorry, does not exist. I can tell you why the UFC wants to do that, and there's a couple of reasons. One, they're not happy with Dricus Plessis not taking this fight. It, by the way, let me just brief aside here, because we're talking about the state of the division. The UFC being a little bit pissy at Dricus for not taking this fight. The man fought Robert Whittaker less than two
1: months ago. Uh, uh, you wanted
0: like a six-week turnaround from Bobby Knuckles to Izzy? With all the wear and tear you'd already accumulated? No. I don't... That's ridiculous. That is it. That is absolutely ridiculous. But the UFC... To fighters, again, the UFC is not your friend. They care about their schedule. They do not care about you, and they never will. Understand that. So because he mean for, you know, health reasons or just turnaround or whatever it was, said, no, that's unreasonable and unrealistic. UFC got pissy. I'm like, well, who knows who could be next? And, but look, there's heat on Dricus Duplessis and Israel Adesanya. Dude, you brought him into that cage for a face-off. You didn't have to do that. You did, UFC, production-wise. Just what? You just assumed that a guy who went through a six-week training camp and prop- and then fought Robert Whitaker would be ready for a six-week turnaround to fight Adesanya? Do you know how stupid that is? <laughs> but you wanted to keep your schedule. Now you blew it up. So, but again, there's heat on that fight. There's not heat for DDP and Strickland. So try to get the belt back on Izzy, then we can do the All-Africa Showdown. I mean, that would have been historic right that would have been i think that would have been the first time in UFC title fight history you had two african born fighters fighting each other and i'd ha- i have to double check that one but i'm i feel okay saying that and if i'm wrong again it's probably what would make that wrong
1: um let's see Usman never fought. Of course, I don't,
0: I don't think Francis did. Right, let, let me double check Serial God. I'm 90% sure he's.
1: Like Basque, from the Basque region. Yeah, yeah. He was born in La Rochon, uh, which. Yeah, so he's. Again native French. Yeah. It, It genuinely
0: would have been. First time you had two native Africans fighting each other. And yes, DDP's a native African. He was born and raised in South Africa. Please spare me your nonsense. Would have been big. And you crapped all over it because you needed a title fight for this card and Volkanovskis were still recovering from surgery, and yeah, you just pff, your schedule, man. You are UFC is shooting itself in the foot over and over again. Neither here nor there. So they're gonna try for that. They're I think they're playing coy with this a little bit in the sense that again they're mad at Duplessis. so they're gonna try to screw him. Out of his rightful title shot. And he is the rightful number one contender. Let's make no bones about that. The other fight coming up that's very relevant for the top of middleweight. Is Paulo Costa. Versus comes out Shemaev.
1: The UFC likes Shemaev. If he just like. Blows the doors off of. Paulo Costa they might just
0: slingshot him into the title. That's very possible. Dude, if he does that, what they might do is just Strickland and Shamayev and then book DDP and Adesanya as its own thing. Which would be a crying shame in some respects. Um, Look, man, I tend to think that when possible you should err on the side of merit, which would be Strikas and Sean Strickland next. And it's not like that's a bad fight. Again, it doesn't have the heat of Adesanya and DDP. I get that. But that's not a bad fight, and frankly, I like... Again, it's not a bad fight. I'm not going to discount Sean Strickland in that one, but I prefer DDP's chances, all things considered. Um, That's just... I mean, middleweight's just in a weird spot. It was in a weird spot even before this result. This result just compounds things, so... As for what's next for Izzy... Here's the thing about this. Sorry, I've said that a lot this week. I'm going to try and... At least the rest of the show. Adesanya debuted for the UFC in 2018, when he was 11-0. Now had 27 fights. So, from
1: 2018... Debut...
0: February, so a little over five years ago. Five and a half years. Uh, call it five and a half. In five and a half years, he's
1: had what? 15 fights? I'll just count. One, two, three. 16, excuse me. 16 fights in five and a half years. Guys, that is a crazy schedule.
0: He fought what? Hang on. He fought four times. He fought four times in 18, three times in 19, twice in 20, twice in 21, three times in 2022, and now twice in 2023. One, appreciate that man's uh, appreciate that man's regularity. He's like clockwork almost.
1: <laughs> Second, dude,
0: if you take a bit of time, no one's gonna blame you. No one who matt. I mean, I don't know. The UFC Mike is the UFC's pissy, but dude, take a bit. I-, I think I heard Demetrius Johnson talk about this um in his reaction. Because he was watching it live and then recorded it, so it's on his YouTube channel. Uh, one of the other things he mentioned was, you know, Adesanya, be, you know what you're dealing with. It might be very sophisticated, but you know what you're dealing with. So there's a bunch of stuff you should be doing and minding in the space, in the general scope of an MMA fight that you don't necessarily have to worry about with Izzy. And this has been true of a lot of fighters. It, it, it changes what you can do. And... Adesanya's current game has kind of been figured out. He needs a wrinkle. And the fact that he has improved as much as he has while keeping that schedule up is remarkable. But, I mean, would anybody blame him if he took eight months and just, you know, worked on a couple of things, worked on his game? Don't worry about a fight. Don't worry about prep. Don't worry about tape study. Let's just let's pick a couple of things here that we want to add or refine, and let's work on your overall MMA game because we need something we need something new here. We don't have to be drastic, but we need something we need a new dimension. He might move up to 205. That's kind of been on the table for a while, so I don't know. I the only thing I would like out of him. And I mean this for, like, his well-being and whatnot. Dude, there's no rush. Figure it out. You, but you don't have to rush this. And for Strickland again, I... DDP's the guy who's earned it. And I'm a big believer in rewarding that. So... But that remains to be seen. The UFC is going to UFC, so... That was your main event, and I talked for a long time about that. So let's move on. Uh, heavyweight, co-main event, Alexander Volkov defeats Tai Ivasa via Ezekiel choke submission, 437 of the second. Technically only the third man to hit an Ezekiel in the UFC. Everyone knows about Alexi Linick. Um, let me give a brief shout-out to... Um. Oh uh, yeah, Remco. Um. Pardoel. Now, the caveat to Remco's Pardoel is pulling it off is that was way back in the day, and he was in a gi. Uh, whereas Olenek hit a couple of them, no gi, and then of course Volkov here again, no gi. Um. There's some interesting differences between the Ezekiel application gi and no gi. Um, Because with a gi, there's a lot of sleeve grabbing that goes into it. You wrap one arm, for the sake of argument, let's say you're right, around the neck. Because you're you're on top, right? Or they're on top, but you're face-to-face. Wrap an arm around the neck, then you would grab your own sleeve if you have a gi, and then your left arm kind of scissors under the chin against the neck, and then you, again, kind of, you can use a, a scissor motion with your arms to apply pressure. It sucks. Um, doing it no-gi is a little bit different. You have to, because, again, there's no leverage, so you actually have to, like, figure four your arm. So instead of grabbing your, uh, gi, your own, your own sleeve, to maintain that, uh, the bottom arm position and keep control of the head, you have to, like, grab your own bicep, and it's a bit more difficult. Doing it with a glove is even more difficult, because it removes space. It makes it harder to get your hand across. Um, Volkov mentioned that he learned this from years ago from Alexei Olinik. And Olenik actually has an interesting way of doing this in MMA. He doesn't extend the arm or the hand to try and get like the wrist and whatnot across the throat. He makes a fist and just pushes it against the side of your neck against the carotid artery. And then lever then pushes that in at the same time squeezing in with the other arm. I think squeezing with the other arm, but so he traps your the other side of your neck against his um, bicep or his shoulder, and that applies some constriction there. Then the other side is just a fist with the glove against the side of your neck, and he's digging it in and he's leveraging into you that way, and it will do the job. Um, again, it it compresses the various blo- the relevant blood vessels. You'll go to sleep. And Volkov hit more of that variation. Um, he beat poor Tuivasa everywhere. Um, his jab was working. His front kick was working. He was countering. Tuivasa landed some pretty good calf kicks. Uh, he didn't like those, but he started countering them later. Dropped him with a right hand. Uh, then got on mount and dude. Volkov doesn't have... And part of this is because he's 6'7". Like, wrestling when you're that big is difficult. Unless you're fighting someone literally, you know, close to you in size. And I don't just mean weight. So Volkov's offensive takedowns are not anything to write home about. His takedown defense has improved, but... If he gets
1: on top of you, man... um, Dude, his mount here
0: was death. I mean, he was able to... I can't stress this enough, man. You need a serious size and length disparity to be able to, in full mount, grapevine the other guy's legs out, and be able to posture up and get a little leverage into your strikes. Normally, if someone's on top of you and they grapevine your legs, they can't get leverage into their strikes. It's, it's going to be arm punches. He's so long that he grapevined Vasa's legs and could still get posture. Oh, Um, look, Tuivasa has a lot of good, has some good things to his game. He's strong, he's explosive. He's very quick, Tuivasa.
1: He just badly needs a reset. Like, uh, he was ranked
0: above Volkov for this fight, which I thought was comical. Um, drop that guy down in competition. Let's, let's reset this a little bit. There's still tools there that we can work with. But if you keep throwing him in there against the top seven, top ten guys in that division, nothing's going to come of this. So I'd drop him down in class a little bit. Volkov wants to make one more run at the belt. Um, You know what? Good for him. I don't know how much I like his chances, but I don't dislike Volkov. Um, He was landing nasty. Volkov's a good fighter. He's tall, he's long, he knows how to fight tall and long, he knows how to fight on the inside. He's been undone mostly by guy uh by like Cyril Gunn, who was just better at everything he was trying to do. Then Blades who rustled him. I mean look, he beat the crap out of Derek Lewis before Lewis scored that Hail Mary. I, I don't forget that. Oh, I don't know. He he's also fought a lot of guys. And that just make, It means there's a lot of rematches, potentially, that aren't all that interesting. But, you know, good for him. And for Tuivasa, like, drop him down in class. Like, let's try to rehab this guy a little bit. He's still... He's 30, so he's still young. Let's try... There's time to fix this. Uh, flyweight, Manel deleted, uh defeated Felipe Dos Santos for unanimous decision. 130-27, 229-28. Um, this, this was your fight of the night? Yes, it was. Cop, um, one of our slur slingers at the end. Um, this was a really good fight. Look this one up if you didn't get a chance. It's good. Um, credit to Dos Santos who took this fight on short notice, replacing Kai de france Came in and fought his butt off. Great chin, man. Manel Cop once he dialed in, he was lighting him up, and Dos Santos never went down. Um, good chin, good pursuit of the fight. Uh, tip of the cap, as a general rule here, to Felipe Dos Santos. Um, proved every bit that he's a UFC-caliber fighter, so. Cop looked like he normally does. Really sharp counter-striking, movement between stances. After the fight, he, he yelled at kara France, who withdrew after he suffered a concussion a few weeks ago. And I don't blame him one iota for that. He, but he was in the crowd. For, they got into it at the press conference, and then he was in the crowd for this one. Got after it, like there's some heat there. That could main event a fight night very easily. I hope they try to rebook it. Um, it was a good fight. I, look, I get Cops frustration. Um, can we just take a second here on this one
1: because he is, um, dude, he's still one of my front runners for uh, worst luck of the year. I mean, this this
0: guy had, um, first of all, his UFC debut got pushed back by two different canceled fights. His debut was a loss to Alexandre Pantoja, now the champion, a pretty good fight. He lost a close split decision to Matthews Nikolau. He missed weight when he beat Oday Osborne, but knocked him out in the first round, knocked out Jalga Zumagulov, then had two fights fall through, finally got, um, which pretty much wasted his 2022. Like, he beats Zuma Gulov December of 21. Has a fight fall through in April and then has another one fall through in June before finally fighting a year ag- again a year later at December of 22. His 2023 had a fight with Alex Perez fall through, a fight with Davis and Figueredo fall through, and then this one fell through. Thankfully, he was able to stay on the card. This guy has had horrible luck. In that respect. Um, But him and Kai Karel-France, still down to see it. Was excited for that fight originally. Rebook it. Again, that's a fight night main event. Easily. Easily, easily, easily. The UFC won't do it because they hate flyweights. Our next two fights on the main card. Justin Toffin knocked out Austin Lane, 122 of the first. Crappy heavyweights. Light heavyweight Tyson Pedro um, knocked out Anton Turcali with punches, 212 of the first. Crappy light heavyweights. Um, yeah, that was your main card. Look, it was.
1: I'm not saying it wasn't fun. I'm saying I
0: don't know if it was worth the eighty dollar price tag. For again, two mediocre quick finishes. Cop and Dos Santos was fun. And then look, Strickland beating Adesanya is one of those like it's historic. I don't say that lightly. That's a historic level upset. But apart from the moment, like, the fight isn't. If you're a nerd like me, the fight, then there's stuff to dissect. If you're an average fight fan, it's it's there. So, I it, like I said, it was a weak pay-per-view on paper, and we got some fun, but we didn't get, like... I don't know. Fight pay... When I say if I'd paid for it, I am reimbursed for these. <laughs> so When I say if I paid for it, I'm not... Like, that's not me saying I steal them. Or pirate them. 4 and one is nice enough to reimburse me for expenses related to coverage. So I get reimbursed for pay-per-views. But, like, if I'd bought this on my own dime, um, I don't know if I would've felt... Like if you're Strickland and Adesanya, like, I don't know, maybe, but you know, I don't know. Like, it wasn't a strong card. Um, as for the prelims, Carlos Ulberg defeated Dawun Jung via you know, uh, rear naked choke. This was originally ruled a decision. The referee missed the tap, and then apparently the choke kind of wasn't where it needed to be to really put him to sleep. So it went the last 11 seconds, and then the, but the replay caught the tap. It was announced that way. Fair play. Um... Ulberg looked pretty good here. Uh, I appreciate Jung's tenacity. But he struggled here, man. He got jabbed up a little bit. He wasn't able to close distance reliably. Um, just tough fight for him. Real tough fight. After the fight, Ulberg called out Dominic Reyes. I've seen people laughing about this, and I get
1: why. We're all kind of like... <sighs> Here's the thing if you're Olberg. You're unranked. You're
0: pretty good. And you need you want to call someone out who's likely to accept will give you some recognition. And, look, again, we can laugh about Dominic Reyes being on his terrible losing streak and being finished in his last, like, three fights. And I'm not saying that that's
1: unfair even in some respects. His last three? Yeah, it
0: is. So four fight losing streak finished in his last three. Uh Blahovich, Perhatchka and then Span. Again we can laugh about this, but Reyes is kind of a name, and, like, who else are you going to call in this respect? Who else are you going to call out? Again, you need someone who is beatable, realistic, and so what? We're going to call it, what, Alonzo Menafield or Dustin Jacoby? They're ranked below Reyes. He's actually calling some someone ranked above them. Like, look, light heavyweight sucks. Why does the UFC's website still list Jamal Hill as champion? He is not. You that? Are they just in denial? Are they going to wait to strip him until they can get a other title fight together? I don't know.
1: That's just embarrassing. But Reyes is ranked 13th, and look, is it
0: picking on a guy when he's down? Yeah, maybe, but this ain't the friend business, man. This is the hurt business. If Dominic Reyes is a wounded animal, everyone ranked below him who's trying to take his spot is going to try to kill him. That's how this works. So, I'm not laughing at the guy for doing it. It's not an unreasonable call-out. He's on a good enough winning streak to warrant a step-up. And he, Reyes is probably more, if you're Olberg, Reyes is probably more beatable than Jacoby or Menafield or Mirzakhanov. Or, I don't know, Roundtree? Olberg style? Mm. So, look, again, we can laugh at it. We can, you know, you can make fun of the guy, again, picking on somebody on, down on their luck, but if Reyes is still active and still ranked and still under contract, he's fair game, and it's on him to sort this out. So I'm actually not I'm not gonna be one of the guys sitting here killing Olberg for the call out. Uh featherweight. Ooh, this one. Um Chepe Maudascal defeated Jack Jenkins via arm injury, TKO slash verbal submission. Uh three nineteen of the second. Jenkins had a good first round. Landed some nasty calf kicks. He's a good good boxer. Good calf ki- good kicker. They had a pretty good scrap for a round. Second round, Maudascal makes it ugly. He makes it dirty. I don't mean unfair I don't mean like cheating. Just makes it, you know, kind of an ugly fight. Gets closer, clinches, dirty boxes, knees, uh, eventually ties up, and he goes for kind of a Nuchimata, a uh, wizard kick, whatever you want to call it. Jenkins, with his right arm, as they're going over, goes to post. And it's not that you. I'm not going to be one of those guys who says you can never post when you're going down, but you don't post. With an extended arm, and your arm can be extended very easily if you don't have a, if you miss time the distance, the angle you're coming down, the speed that you're coming down, like there's a bunch of stuff in here that makes that dangerous. Because if you post on a straight arm, your elbow will give, and not in the direction it's supposed to. you so if you if you're gonna post, bent arm, very bent, so that your elbow will bend the direction it's supposed to. If you don't. It goes somewhere else. It goes somewhere it is not supposed to go. And there's a million examples of this. This happens in wrestling. This happens in judo. This happens in MMA. Just the latest one. And you can look this up if you're so inclined. If you don't mind the carnage. Look up, again, uh, arm injuries off of these takedowns. And you'll see a bunch of MMA ones. So... I mean, there was one not too long... There was one very recently. There was that, uh, that uh, women's fight not that long ago where uh, somebody tied up on a leg lock and then... What the heck? I'm going to have to look this up now because it's going to bother me. Uh, yeah, Estela Nunez. Estela Nunez and her fight with uh, Vi- uh, Victoria Dudakova. Um, it, it just dislocated. Um, Pretty badly. Yeah, um, and that was just, again, tying up off of a... There was a leg entanglement, and she was going down and just posted, and straight arm. Happens. It's not uncommon. There's ways to avoid it. You have to be careful about it. Again, you have to keep that arm bent, man. You can't straighten it. Uh, otherwise, the elbow will not go where it's supposed to. <laughs> it will, uh, and that happened here. Hopefully Jenkins recovers. Marta Skull! Um, again, he had a rough first round, but he like that second round was going his way before the injury, and it wasn't it wasn't a like freak accident. He was doing a technique and it was a legitimate win. So you know, ho- again, hopefully both guys come back. Um, because I Jenkins has a fair amount of upside, and Mariscal's kind of started to come on, so see what happens with both of them. Uh Jamie Malarkey defeated John McDessie via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. I scored this for McDessie. Here's the thing. Round one to Malarkey. Round two to McDessie. Round three was close enough to go either way. I liked McDessie's work more in the third round. A lot of people seem to, apart from the judges. Um... I can't get up in arms over it. Look, we had a fight that came down to a third round that we had a fight that came down to a specific round that was close enough to make a case either way. I can't. I can't complain. I can't say anything. That's just how it goes. Um, what would have been fight of the night if not for Cop and Dos Santos. Lightweight, Nasrat Hakparath defeats Landon Quinonez via unanimous decision 30-27 across the boards. Does not tell you the story of how close this was. <laughs> um, this was a close fight. This was very competitive. Um, this is the somewhat related to what I was talking about with body work in Adesanya and Strickland. Hakparath never gets close to really stopping Quinonez with body work. But by the time the third round comes around, all that water in the basement, so to speak, is is weighing him down. Like he slows, and he slows in no small part because of body work. Um, these just beat the crap out of each other. It was great. Really good fight. This would be the other one I'd say look up. Uh, welterweight, Charlie Radke, defeated Mike Mathatha, better known as Blood Diamond, via unanimous decision. 29-27 across the boards. Um, good old Blood Diamond got deducted a point in the third round for... Repeated low blows. Not a great fight. Don't have a whole lot to say here. Radke was our first on the night, slinger of slurs. So fair enough. He apologized that he was trying to heal on the crowd. He misread things and he just got punched in the face a lot. Like I'd rather you didn't. And but eh.
1: I'm I'm just, I don't I'm not going to get up in arms over this one. Like I
0: dunno. Maybe I should. Maybe I should, but I'm not going to. It's not that I don't think it was in good like it was in bad taste. I'd rather you didn't. And frankly, I'd rather the UFC had a better policy about this kind of thing. On the flip side, again, this is the hurt business. Fighters are going to say vile things to each other or fans, or people they don't like. That's not new. You'd kind of rather you not do it on ESPN. Is it on ESPN Plus? Yes, yeah, so, but point being, you'd rather that not happen, but the UFC doesn't really want, for a variety of reasons, doesn't want to impose something like that. And again, there's a variety of reasons. Catch weight because Shane Young missed weight by five
1: pounds. Uh, Okay, not
0: he weighed 149 and three quarters for a featherweight fight. So we'll call it four and change. Uh, Gabriel Miranda choked him out in 59 seconds. Um, Yeah, kind of off-balanced him. A little bit of a knee tap, jumped on his back. Rode him down, went with a face crank, slipped it under the neck, put him to sleep. Shane Young, I believe, now 0-4 since doing that haka at, at, a, at a face-off weigh-in thing. So, good one for Miranda and kicking everything off. Kevin Jousset defeated Kiefer Crosby via rear naked choke, 449 of the first. Crosby having some success on the feet, a little bit back and forth. You had a slightly slower, more technical guy in Jousset. And then a bit more of a power punching brawler in Crosby. But they tied up, and tying up with Jusei is not the greatest idea. He's a fairly significant judoka. And Crosby tried to throw. Jusse countered with ease, got his back, got his neck. Crosby did nothing right in defending that joke. I'm not trying to dump on the guy. He was, he hung out too long on all fours. Didn't recognize the position. Didn't fight the hooks as they went in. Didn't fight the hands. Just textbook kind of freezing while the other guy gets you in uh, in checkmate. Something to work on for him in the future. But his striking didn't look terrible. Um, after the fight, Jose called out Ian Gary. That ain't happening. Yeah, that was the card. Um. Not the worst night of fights in the world. A little bit weak for a pay-per-view, but, you know, again, capped off by that historic upset. I mean, fight of the night, I already mentioned Coppin Dos Santos. Performances of the night went to Sean Strickland and Justin Toffa. A lot of guys getting left out in the cold on that one. Um, Because, dude, I would have given...
1: I would have given Volkov before I gave Taffa. Um, I'd have given, uh, Taffa would have been fairly far down the list for me
0: if I was handing out those bonuses. But if you want my full report, MMAZona411mania.com, you know right where it is. So give that a read. Much appreciated. All right, that took a while. I apologize. He might be in for a long one here. I mean, you know that at this point rather than me. So let's move on. UFC Noche. Uh, this coming Saturday, September 16th. Also known as UFC on ESPN Plus 85 or UFC Fight Night 227 or UFC Fight Night Grasso vs. Shevchenko 2. Happening on Mexican Independence Day. This poor card. It's still not a bad card. They've they got a fair amount of Mexican fighters here. But, I look at some of the fights we were supposed to get here, and I'm sad. Like, we were supposed to get Shavkat Rachmanov and Kelvin Gastelum. We were supposed to get Chris Curtis and Anthony Hernandez. We were supposed to get Daniel Rodriguez and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Like, those are good, good, good fights. Dude, you throw those... Under a title fight? Like, that's a darn near... That's a better pay-per-view card than the pay-per-view that we just came off of. It would be on free TV. Mmm. Alas, we have what we have, which is still not terrible. So, let's run through this, shall we? Uh, Main event. Rematch for the women's flyweight title. Alexa Grosso, your new champion. Defending against Valentina Shevchenko, the woman she took the belt from. Tough one to call here. Um, champions in immediate rematches tend to lose. Like if you lose the belt and you get an immediate rematch, it actually statistically does not go your way. Um, Adesanya actually bucked that trend when he beat Pereira. It, it it just it doesn't happen very often statistically. So there's a little bit of that. We saw in how the first fight played out, Grasso was very well prepared for a lot of Shevchenko's habits. On the feet, she had a fair amount of success. Some of the grappling, like the grappling started going away from her down the stretch because both women are fond of the front head, of the headlock. It didn't work for Shevchenko the first time, Grasso got on her back briefly, but as time wore on, uh, Shevchenko's wrestling was starting to wear her down, then... Grosso just forced Shevchenko to a position where Shevchenko intends to throw spinning back kicks. And when she did, she immediately moved moved with her, rotated with her, got the back, got the choke. Very well-schooled performance from Grosso. So champions in rematches tend not to do well. Immediate rematches. There's that important caveat. Immediate rematches tends not to go best for them. But Shevchenko is still really good.
1: Everywhere. Grosso is still very
0: good. Like, this is a good fight. It was a pretty good fight the first time. I, like everyone else, I picked Chevchenko there, but... I took Grosso seriously. Heck, I took Tylosanto Santos seriously. So, a couple of things here. Shevchenko's getting up there a little bit in age. She's, what, 35? Recently 35. There's a lot of tape on her. I don't know how much she can undo some of her habits. Especially some of the ones that Grosso was really keyed into. Shevchenko has been set as the favorite by the odds makers, which I understand.
1: I don't think that's unfair. Absent
0: that one mistake, you know, who wins that first one? It's competitive, certainly. But things had started going Shevchenko's way. Um, pretty... Not like 10-8 material, but you knew where the momentum was. Um. Oh, man. Again, it's tough. You're, You're perfectly justified picking either way here. I'm gonna pick Grosso here. I might feel very stupid about this. But...
1: I don't know. I...
0: I wonder if Shevchenko isn't going to just move up in weight. Like women's bantamweight is, has no champion at the moment. It's a
1: little bit empty. If the weight cut started to be a
0: problem for Shevchenko, and I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it might be. You you marry that with, you know, being a little bit older, having all the, all that tape being available on you. I don't know. Look, she might win this fight. She very well might. This is this is a close fight on paper. It was close the first time, but there's some statistical stuff here that tends to go against the Pearson and Shevchenko's position. I'm gonna lean towards Grosso just a bit. Her she was having a lot of success on the feet, kind of getting inside, kicking distance, um, landing pretty good jab. She's got she has sharp hands. Um, yeah, I'm not going to be shocked one way or the other. There's not an outcome here that could shock me. Either woman could stop the other with strikes. Either woman could get a submission. Either woman could win a decision. Looking forward to the fight itself. I'm going to lean towards Grosso. Home main event. Kevin Holland and Jack Della Maddalena. Good fight here. So Jack Della Maddalena coming off of a tough fight with um, Basil Hafez. He was supposed to fight somebody else. Um, who was he supposed to fight? Sean Brady. And then that fell apart. Hafez stepped up on short notice, fought him to a split decision. I didn't think it was split, but it was a tough fight. It was a very tough fight. Holland seems to be trying to turn a corner here. For a while, he was just... I mean, the man fought, what, five times in 2020? He was just kind of a a, a Donald Cerrone kind, type. Like, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight a lot. I'm going to win some. I'm going to lose some. But this is what I do. Last little bit, he's tried to fix that. Like, Kamzat Shemayev ran, ran him over. Then the Stephen Thompson fight, like his corner stopped in between rounds fairly. You know, he had like a, um, he was all banged up. Like, that was a fun enough fight. But the fights, his last two fights with Santiago Ponzinibbio and then Michael Chiesa, it seems like he's trying to turn the corner. We're going to find out here, because Jack Della is, I've been very, I've been very high on him for a little bit. You guys know that. These two are going to be a little accommodating of each other. Um the length and height going to Holland the way that it does makes me curious to see how uh JDM will deal with the range. He's a good body puncher. Takes a little bit too much damage. But, you know, Holland lives on his chin a little bit, too. I'm this is a good step up for JDM. It's not quite what Sean Brady would have. Sean the Sean Brady fight was interesting because Brady was we think Brady might be on the decline was JDM might be on the upswing. And that was gonna be a kind of turning point for both guys. This isn't quite that for Holland. Um I think I don't think a loss here ruins him or like says something horrible about his trajectory. I don't even think a loss for JDM would be catastrophic. Wouldn't be great. But I don't think it would be catastrophic. I'm still gonna lean towards JDM here. Like I I'm not just like I, I'm not quite at ride-or-die territory with him. But I think he's got decent cage craft. Holland's got a good chin, but I'm not sure about his body. I don't know. We're going to see. Uh, obviously, we're going to see. That's a good fight. Uh, I I like the fight. I'm going to lean towards JDM. Moving on, Raul Rosas Jr. will fight Terrence Mitchell. Um, Rosas, who just got his first... um. First loss, dude, you brought an 18-year-old into the UFC. Like, this isn't going to go well. I mean, he got beat by a guy who's, you know,
1: not a scrub, but... uh, I don't know, look, they
0: like Rosas, but... I think they're soft touching him. They're soft touching him a bit here. So he's fighting Terence Mitchell who is 14 and 3. Uh lost his UFC debut to Cameron Simon. Because I think they're trying to soft to play soft with Rosas, I'm going to lean towards him.
1: He's 33. You know what? No, I'm going with Mitchell. I I don't know.
0: I, this is the thing about Rosas, right? He's so young, and his development could be screwed up so easily. I don't know what to expect from him. I'm gonna lean towards Mitchell. no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm going with Rosas. I think they're trying to help him out. Alright, uh, moving on to lightweight, Daniel Zellhuber and Christos Yagos. Um, Zellhuber has had a couple of fights in the UFC. Yeah, he's one and one, lost his debut, then beat Lando Venata. Yagos is, is that a real up and down UFC Yeah, he's fifty fifty in the UFC at six and six. Coming off a win, though, uh, in fact, yeah, he knocked out Ricky Glenn. There's losses. His UFC losses are Charles Oliveira, Drakar Close, Armin Sayuki and Tiago Moises. He's got to have more losses than that. Um, okay, his first run in the UFC, he went one and two, lost to Gilbert Burns. I can hold that against him in 2004 or in 2023, for that matter. The Chris Wade loss that sent him out of the promotion. Yeah, that that's fair. But since returning it's again you know, Olivera, champion, close, very darn good. Saryukian, very good. Moises. Moises ain't bad. I think I'm gonna lean towards Zell Huber still, but I'm not gonna be shocked if Yago's if the Greek emerges over the Mexican. At uh, featherweight, we have Fernando Padilla and Kyle Nelson. Nelson, quick look—he's had a rough go of it in the UFC. Uh, two, four, and one. I mean, he's had a rough. Some of these draws are rough. Like your debut against Carlos Diego Fajera, he fought Billy Quarantillo in there. Um, had that draw with Duho Choi. Superboy. Yeah, yeah, it was. That was his return fight for military service. Coming off a win over Blake Builder, though. Um, I think this is Padilla. Been in the UFC before. He's 15 and four, three and well, oh, excuse me, one and zero in the UFC. Yeah, beat Julian Arosa. Yeah, yeah, picking Padilla. Uh, let's see that's the main card. Prelims, we have Lupita Godinez, who now trains out of Canada, and Elise Reed. I'm actually thinking Reed here. Reed's
1: coming off that win over Jinu Fry. Be your first UFC winning streak. Uh, I mean, Godinez, you know, people like her. You don't have two fight winning streak. Yeah,
0: actually, I'm, g- I'm going to be okay leaning towards Reed here, but only a little bit. Middleweight. Good fight here, actually. Roman Kopulov and Josh Fremd. Um, Kopulov seems to be... Had a rough couple of first fights in the UFC. Carl um, Robertson and then Albert Durayev, but 3-0 and since then. Knocked out Alessio uh, Rico, Stopped Punahele Soriano. Knocked out Claudio Hiberio. It was a sick head kick. It was UFC 291, like Second most memorable head kick from that card. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, had, it unfortunately happened on the same card as uh, uh, Gaethje and Poirier, but it was a good head kick. It was a really good head kick. Um, Fremd is fought in the UFC a couple of times. He's 2-2 two two in the UFC, yeah. He fight winning streak. Cedricus Dumas and then Jamie Pickett. He missed weight for that Pickett fight, though. Yeah, I'm going with Kapilov here. Then we have um, Edgar Chavez and Daniel Lacerda. We are at flyweight here. Um, Chavez is 10-5, and 0-1 in the UFC. Oh, yeah, yeah, he fought Tetsuro Tyra. It's a rough draw for your debut. Um I fought with Felipe Dos Santos' fallout. Lacerda, 11-5, and 0-4 in the UFC. Good grief. Yeah, Chavez. Uh, that's where the pick's going. Uh, women's flyweight, Tracy Cortez and Jasmine Jasdivisius. Cortez? Been out for a while. She last fought in May of 2022. Um, she had some kind of a medical issue. You're
1: supposed to fight Amanda Hebos, and then, yeah, that. Um... is coming off of a pretty good win, actually um when she beat Miranda Maverick um uh, lay playoff That's an issue i'm still going to lean towards cortez but you know if you're
0: if you're upset minded if you don't mind betting the dog like justivicius is uh if she's the underdog she's a live underdog then we have strawweights uh josephine lindgren nutson uh she oh Swedish, so Knutsen. Um Knudsen is six and zero. Off a Contender Series win. She's facing Marek Mann.
1: Uh Marek? Marnik, excuse me.
0: Small font. R on the end next to each other. Um Man is six and one, also making her promotional debut. Uh, let me flip a coin here. Um, I don't know. Man, I guess. Then, uh, what else do we have? Um, we have Alex, okay, this, I don't know where this is in the bout order, but I assume the prelims. Um, Alex Reyes and Charlie Campbell. I'm gonna take a quick look at these two. Reyes is 13 and three. Lost his UFC debut to Mike Perry. He's been out for, jeez, what the heck happened to this guy? Okay, so Mike Perry knocked him out in 2017. Um, he's had a bunch of fights. He's had three fights fall through since then, but he hasn't fought since. Okay, this will be exactly because it was six, the 16th of uh, same month, right? It's exactly six years he'll be out of the cage. Dang. Yeah, in 18, he had a fight with Hack Perast fall through in 2023. He's had fights with Trevor Peake and Natan Levy. Levy was supposed to be on this card and wound up pulling out. That's a long layoff, man. I what happened. I'm sure someone will tell us at some point on the court of the podcast. Uh Campbell is seven and two. Fights out of Sarah Longo. Or Longo and Wideman I MMA. Mean, I forget what they call it these days.
1: Uh making his UFC debut, I believe. Yeah. Um S Campbell. I don't know though, man, like that
0: layoff it's impossible to know for sure. No, no, I'm actually going to lean towards Reyes. There's an experience gap there. That layoff, though, man. Oh, as a a minor aside, two fights that we wound up losing from this card. So Lupita Godin is supposed to fight Sam Hughes originally. It might actually be a better fight. Um, we lost Chris Curtis and Anthony Hernandez. I already mentioned that. Rachmanov and Gastelum. Oh, unfortunate. Um, Cynthia Calvillo was supposed to fight Elise Reed. Calvillo had to f- pull out. That's how Reed and L- Godinez got together. I mentioned uh, Rodriguez and Ponzanibio. mentioned Levy having falling out. Um, I mentioned, oh, okay, Kapilov stayed on the card, but he, I mentioned supposed to fight uh, Anthony Hernandez. Um, Yasmin Lucindo was supposed to fight on this card. This card originally in concept and on paper was actually really, really good. What we have is fine. I'm not dumping on this card. I'm I'm lamenting what could have been. But Saturday, MMAZona411mania.com. Come by, say hello. I appreciate it. You can find me there. All right, let's move on then, shall we? And we'll get into news. I'll be fast through this, I promise. So. Uh, Tyson Fury and Francis who had the press conference for their upcoming boxing match. Um, dude, Tyson Fury is showing up out of shape. He's got time to get into shape for the fight, but that guy's mental health struggles are real, and his continued existence is for any of us dealing with various mental illnesses. Um, look, his look, some of the gimmickry that he engages in aside. Um, whether or not I agree with some of his career decisions making at this point in time, aside, genuinely, when you look at his struggles and what he's gone through and is going through and is still fighting through, like, and he's still there and he's still doing it, um, my hat's off to him. He is in the, I don't say this lightly and I don't mean every aspect of his life, but the fact that he is doing what he's doing. Should be inspiring to every one of us dealing with mental illness of some variety or another. Um, after he kind of asked, he said after the like during the press conference, he said, you know, I'll fight you in a cage afterwards, dude. You take two leg kicks and be done. I respect Tyson Fury as a boxer, but MMA is not boxing. Same way, bo- you know, like it's is not. Um, but he mentioned that, he, like, he mentioned, you know, a few other things. He got asked, like, okay, so why aren't you trying to fight Alexander Usyk and get the, you know, undisputed title? And you can never take Tyson Fury at his word, because he's always, he's almost always playing for the camera to one degree or another. And But his response was, like, why did I, have I ever said I wanted that? I know I'm the best. But I'm not interested in that. Dude, if he can make... Put yourself in Tyson Fury's shoes for just a second here. If you're offered the same amount of money to fight Francis Ngannou, powerful guy, but not a boxer, or Alexander Usyk, but the same amount of money, like one of these is a radically easier fight than the other. This... You know what? I'm just going to... Let me throw this out there very briefly. A lot of us in the MMA space when this kind of crossover thing started gaining traction, we kind of lamented how bad it was making MMA look. Like because you know, what do what do MMA ch- UFC champions, the first thing they're doing now is calling out boxers. You could almost see a little bit of it when Usman was like, I've cleaned out the division. I want a big payday. Let me go box Canelo. And like, yeah, it goes very, very bad for you. And Canelo didn't care one iota. But, you know, Sean O'Malley, like, wins the belt and then says, yeah, I want to go box Tank Davis. Like, piss off. Tank Davis would do bad, bad things to you.
1: My man. Very bad.
0: But it's common at this point. And we all kind of went, oh, this makes MMA look so bad, because, well, one, the pay structure is bad, and this is drawing attention to that. Two, it makes you look like, like you don't know what you're doing when, you know, Tyron Woodley's out there getting knocked out by Jake Paul, or Anderson Silva gets dropped by Jake Paul, <laughs> and Nate Diaz gets beat by Jake Paul. <laughs> I reference Jake Paul a lot there, but you know it just it it it's not a great look for the sport well it turns out it might be as bad for boxing but in a wildly different way you're presenting boxers with easier fights for comparable money to very difficult fights of course they're going to take the easier fights and some of this is again it's kind of disrupting the boxing architecture a little bit because you have people with outsized profiles relative to boxing coming in trying to generate interest, and boxers going, "Okay, you're giving me money If I can put off fighting a guy who I'm going to have a really hard time with to fight a guy I'm not going to have a hard time with, I'm guess what we're doing here. The fury these days seems more interested in the big paycheck high-profile celebrity kind of stuff rather than unifying the heavyweight title. And, one, I'm not blaming him. If he was out here saying, I want to be undisputed champion and then backing off, and again, like he's he has said in the past, I'm going to fight Usyk, but... If there had been, like, deliberate steps taken towards that end and then he was backing out at the last minute, I might feel differently about it. Dude, if these guys were calling out Usyk, what do you... Th- okay, well, let's let's flip the script for just a second here. Okay? And Stipe Miocic says,
1: I want to box Alexander Usyk.
0: And Usyk is then presented with the option. You can box Tyson Fury, or you can box Stipe Miocic.
1: And your pay is going to be about the same.
0: What do you think Usyk's doing? He's gonna go school Miocić for however long that takes, get a fat paycheck, and not worry about it. That the incentive structure here is all monetary, for better or for worse, as a general rule, and boxers are now wind up, winding up presented with easier fights for comparable money to very difficult fights. Of course they're taking the easier fights. Not that hard to understand. Frustrating as a fan, easy to understand. Okay. So there was that. I don't know what we're doing over there. Um, A lot of of Saudi Arabian propaganda is most of what's going on over there. A lot of sports washing. All right, moving on. So we had some fight announcements come out. Let's take a quick look through some of these. Um, so October 14th, Uh, we have our main event for that card. It will be at the Apex. We know a good chunk of this card, actually. Main event at Featherweight will be Sadiq Yusuf and Edson Barboza. Yeah, that's an iffy main event. Again, when you see the main event, you have to ask yourself. So that's your main event. What's below it? And here we've got, what do we got? Viviana Arrujo and Jennifer Maya. that's not awful. Jonathan Martinez and Adrian Yanez, that's good, gr- Dude, That that's a good fight. That's actually a really good fight. David Dvorak and Tatsudo Tyra. Tyra taking another step up. Dvorak, who had some potential, he's up against it. Um, I'm always going to pop for Ronnie Yaya out here still doing it. Don't care about Michelle Pereira and not Marc-Andre Berrio. Eh, you know what? There's a handful of decent fights in there that are currently announced. But that's not a terribly strong main event. I think what that ultimately is going to be is just a really strong free streaming card. And you know what? I'll take that these days. Um, Also announced um, for November 18th, I may have touched on this last week, um, Brendan Allen and Paul Craig. We have a few other fights for that card now. Most notably, Jordan Levitt and Chase Hooper. Atman Azitar's is back. Ho Kong and John Castaneda. It's not a great card. That's eh, not great. Look, I tell the truth here, right?
1: Then, uh, what was it? Rather,
0: where is it? Yeah, okay. So UFC and ESPN Plus 87, October 7th. Our main event is Grant Dawson and Bobby Green. This is not a strong main event. Like again, what's how, what's worse than that? They're going to wind up on this card. They're going to spend, you know, six hours watching, if you're me at least. we got Joe Pfeiffer. Drew Dober, Ricky Glenn isn't bad. Tannis Bilalji, I don't care. Richie Long and Johnny Munoz, meh. Kanako Murata and Vanessa Dimopoulos, moderately interesting. Um... Alex Moreno and Joaquin Buckley might be fun. So Care about Montana De La Rosa and Stephanie Egger, Yuman
1: Kutalaba, and Felipe Linz is going to be eh. Nate Manas
0: and Matius Mendoza. Mendoza, excuse me. Loosely curious about Daniel Pineda. Hussein Azkaba. eh. Again, it's it's not a terribly strong card. Gotta call a spade a spade. That's where we are. Um, were there any others announced? Um, I may not have touched on this earlier, but we do know November 4th. They're in Sao Paulo. Uh, main event of Curtis Blades and Jailton Almeida. Good fight for the heavyweight division. What else is on that card? Angela Hill. Renat Fakrandinov against Eliza dos Santos. That'll be... That'll be something. Elfo Vieira and Armin Petrosian. Interesting now clash.
1: Kyle oh, Bahalio's fighting. Ooh, he's fighting Nurston
0: Ruzboyev. Um, probably Bahalio, but if you're... Don't I use... <laughs> I I tend to pick Russians to beat Brazilians, especially in Brazil, because it amuses me to do so. Um, Bahalio is generally the more proven guy there, but Nurston Ruzboyev He might upset a few people there. It, it's an outside chance, but It's not, it's not crazy. So, we know a few fights there, so that's kind of the state of things at the moment. Um, A few of those fight nights, look, if I weren't covering them, I probably wouldn't really watch. Certainly not live and dedicate as much time to it, but, eh, what are you going to do? Your job is your job, right? All right. um, Let's move on. I'll be very I'll try to be brief with this one. But Dana White got asked very briefly um, about the PFL and the PFL entering into a deal with uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, the Saudi government arm that deals with this stuff, invested a ton of money into them. Dana got asked about that and he said, I don't care. It doesn't matter how much money you have. We have a monopoly. More or less. And, like, the same guy kind of asked, like, so, any thoughts to what they might get from buying Bellator? And his response was just who in God's green earth would want to buy Bellator? My man, your lawyers must be throwing themselves off of buildings. Consider what you just admitted publicly. Okay? Think about this for just a second. You are being sued for unfair business practices. Antitrust violations and, again, being a monopsony, which is loosely adjacent to a monopoly and is, again, illegal. You're being accused of this. The judge has indicated he's he thinks that's what's going on here. You're banking at this point legally on the Ninth Circuit hearing your appeal about class certification because everything else has been thrown out. This is what you're banking on. And hoping that you know a letter of recommendation, a letter from like the Las Vegas Board of Tourism or Chamber of Commerce or whatever, to the Ninth Circuit, like please, we like the UFC and all the money they bring in. Who cares if they're operating unfair business practices and screwing fighters over? We would like the revenue they generate. You're gambling on this, like, like this is it? Because if the Ninth Circuit either rejects your appeal or hears it in the rules against you, either way, you are stuck going to trial against a judge whose rulings to this point have not been in your favor, in some cases with very damning language. And you're out here publicly, in front of the media, saying, we don't care about our competition, it doesn't matter how much money they have, you'll never make a
1: dent in what we do. Think for
0: just a minute about what you admitted to, on the record, publicly, that your business is so ironclad, dominant in the marketplace, that it does not matter how much money is thrown at it. You've just admitted to half of the complaints being filed against you in court. This is why people in something equivalent to Dana White's position in other sports leagues don't sound like him. It's not by accident. You think, look, we can all joke about NBA commissioners or NFL commissioners till the cows come home. You think they don't have opinions? You think they're not capable of flying off the handle some of the ways Dana White has? Of course they are. They know how to keep it in check because they're aware of their exposure and liability.
1: I, uh, I just, I don't know what to. I, I don't know. It's. What do you want me to say about this? You just, you're basically admitting to everything you're being sued over job
0: uh all right that's all i've got here let me check twitter see if anything crazy's broken if not we'll do plugs and get out of here and i appreciate you sticking with me for over two hours now i hope you've broken this up into chunks or i've been able to be a companion while you're stuck in traffic or i just put your kids to sleep i don't know whatever you whatever you use this for after i put it out onto the internet i don't know i don't want to know there's some sick people out there and I'd rather not have weirdness in my head any more than already exists. So, let me check Twitter. And if not, we're out of here. Alright. Nope. So, plugs. Usual spate of coverage. MLW stuff on Thursday. WWE Smackdown on Friday. UFC event on Saturday. Uh, Damn you, Hollywood is eh, mostly. Fuck, man. It's September. We're kind of on hiatus until the end of September with the Expendables 4. There's just nothing really coming out worth talking about. So, yeah, there's other stuff coming out as a general rule, but uh, that's it for me podcasting in some respects. So, what do we got? Yeah, I think that's it. All right, back here next week to review UFC Noche and to preview...
1: Yes, we will be previewing
0: UFC on ESPN plus 86. Zia versus Gamrod, Darn good fight. What else is on that card? Javid Baccarat.
1: Uh, Bryce Mitchell and Dan Ige is not bad. Carl Jordan and Ricardo Ramos. James and Andre Fialho. You know what? It's not a terrible card. Turn your you standard fight night stuff. It ain't. Uh, uh, yeah. You know what? I'll stick with it. It's not terrible.
0: That is not a terrible card. All right. I'll be back with that on the horizon. Thank you all very, very much as always. Know the drill. Stay safe out there. Appreciate each and every one of you. While you're at it. Don't forget to be well, be safe, and behave.